you are. you are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. business. You know, before this pesky pandemic came along, we had 36 magazine, 36 magazines for 39 airlines. Um, we were publishing on every continent, so we had the biggest airlines in the world, United, American, Virgin, Singapore, Etihad, so on every continent we had, we had a major player. Probably in the early 2000s, I think we had 50 or 60 magazines at that point, there was a lot more airlines then. Um, as I said, my, I remember the first airline, I, first low-cost airline that came to America, which was in Columbus, which was called Skybus. You know, they tried. They tried to. I'm not quite sure what they were trying to do. And fuel went through the roof, and they they lasted about one or two issues. And we had we had quite a few clients like that. But we we published a hell of a lot of magazines in the in the early 2000s. What um so obviously been in business. You know, you've been doing this for like the last 30 years, and you had some failed businesses before. Um, what were some of the biggest things you took away from those failed businesses that you were able to apply? You know, to this one that's really made it a success. I don't. I actually think I've learned more in this business because even though it hasn't failed, it's had quite a few heart attacks along the way. <laughs> we had we had nine eleven. We had two thousand eight. We had two thousand twelve. We had uh, stupid decisions by me, and and then obviously along came COVID. So I think I've learned more in the last. Well, I probably learned more in the last two and a half years than I did in the previous twenty seven. Mm. Certainly about me, I'd gone from being. Um, doubting myself as a as a success to actually believing you know what you you are pretty competent you are capable because before I'd say to myself you know what what happens when they figure out I haven't got a clue what I'm doing mm. and now I don't feel like that I really do feel like I'm a good operator I know what I'm doing I'm good at what I do and I stick to my lane and I think that's really important for entrepreneurs is to understand what you're really good at what you bring to the party and just keep bringing that don't worry about what you're not good at there's plenty of other people who can do what you're not good at. But, you know, the thing that makes you special is the thing you need to focus on. Yeah, so true. I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs, they <clears throat> have that challenge with, I guess, imposter syndrome or why am I here? You know, how can I have <laughs> been the one to do this and lead this? And, you know, the, the, the employees are going to find out, like you said, don't know what I'm doing and stuff. And what were some of the biggest things there, I guess, some of the ways that you overcame that? And now you're like, hey, you know, I am the right person. I am the guy for this. Every opportunity is gift-wrapped as a problem. And, and, and the way to, to, to paint this picture so, so people can understand it is, if you imagine as a kid you play Pass the Parcel, and then everybody sort of unwrapped one layer and eventually somebody got to the, got the prize. And I think that's what business is. There's an opportunity, but because it's gift-wrapped in problems, most people don't get past the problems to get to the opportunity. And right now, every time I get a problem, I think, ooh, that means opportunity is around the corner. And, and all of a sudden, those problems, which might be huge, dissipate and get so much, so much smaller because I'm focusing on how am I going to get past this problem to the opportunity? How am I going to unravel it and, and discover what's around the corner? And I think that's really, it helps me get where I need to get to much quicker. So, I mean, tell me about the time too. I know uh, in the information they'd sent over, uh, you were kidnapped in Beirut. <laughs> so, what kind, of, so, so what after, kind of a learning experience did you take away from that one? <laughs> well, I, I think the, the, the interesting thing is 
You know, our first contract was probably the smallest airline in the world. It was an airline that flew from London to Beirut. It was just after the Civil War. And I was going to Beirut every two months. And a friend of mine had a textile business and he said, do me a favor, can you go and see one of my clients? Never, he's not very happy, but you know, go and see him and say hello and do whatever you need to do. And, and I'd been, you know, I've been in Beirut enough times to, to know that, you know, the areas that you do go to, the areas you don't go to. And this old dusky Mercedes turns up, which was unusual because normally people would send you a nice clean car. This car was like beaten up. I thought, okay, whatever. I got in it. And and between Beirut and the airport is, is basically the area that the Hezbollah operate in. And, I, and as we drove, so, so I've always driven through the area and never stopped. So this time this guy pulls up at a big warehouse and he says, um, mm, right. do you work for the company? And I went, um, no, I'm just the representative here. I just thought I'd call in to see how you are. He goes, we're so unhappy. And it was, he sat me on a chair. It was like, imagine Reservoir Dogs on a chair in the middle of an empty warehouse, just me and him. And I could see. He was, he was slightly disgruntled and he spent the next hour telling me how disgruntled he was. And I said, look, I'm really sorry. It's not my, and he kept asking me, saying, is it your business? Is it your business? I said, it's not. I said, I'm just a representative here. And um, I felt parts of me <laughs> wanting to be released. And it was probably the most scary hour of my life. And uh, eventually he said, well, if this was your business, you would not be leaving here. And sort of threw me out the door and said, off you go and then the dusky car took me back to my hotel and I got on the phone to my friend and I said you bastard what have you done to me <laughs> yeah. and, and after that we did we hardly ever spoke again but it was I, I, I can only imagine this is what you know what being a being kidnapped must must feel like for sure yeah it's, it's definitely a scary moment and makes you really think about everything in your life and what's <laughs> where you're at and everything <laughs> I mean, I was only young then, but it's, even so, it's, you know, it, it's the emotions and just being in the Middle East, our next client was in Africa. So I spent my life haggling, <laughs> learning how to negotiate, how to get paid, because in the Middle East, if, you, if they owe you money, they invite you for dinner. You know, it's like, it's the opposite of here. Here they just ghost you. There they say, come around, meet the wife, meet the kids. Oh, we love you very much, but we're not paying you, can't pay you. We'll pay you at some other point. So it is, it's a really interesting way of, of doing business. And then, and then the same in Africa, you know, I'm traveling around Rwanda, Uganda, Tanzania, some of the poorest countries in the world, but yet there's so much money and there's so much opportunity in these countries. And I think I learned about culture, food, poverty, inspiration, inspirational people, powerful people, weak people, you know, all the different people that I came into contact mm. with. And as a, I was probably in my early 20s, I think that opened me up to things that I shouldn't have seen, things I should have seen, and just amazing experiences. And I think that really did set me up for life. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.